I'll be back with y'all. It's been two months. Maybe two months too. I was sitting back here thinking. It was last year on the second week in second Sunday of October. From that point forward, I think we've been somewhere or another at home the entire weekend. I think it's pretty weak. Good traveling a little bit. It's going to be busy. I'm glad to be back with you. I want to, uh, I had something on my mind, and I've been kind of studying through church doctrine. And, you know, one of the doctrines that I'd like to talk about today is the doctrine of baptism. I don't think I talked about this last time, but I don't think I talked about that last time. It's a very important doctrine to the Lord's church. Without baptism, you can't have a church. The Lord commanded his disciples to go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Matthew 28, 19. It's not sprinkling, it is immersion, it's something that is in our very name as a friend of the Baptist. It has been of some contention for some time between one group and another, some saying you don't have to be baptized, others saying it is required as far as the ordinances are concerned and as far as a commandment of the Lord. I believe it to be a commandment of the Lord. I believe it is something that the faithful follow him in. in uh, and I believe it is required for church membership. I hope to show that to you all this afternoon. We ought to hold to the doctrine. No matter what, no matter if the entire world depart, no matter if all of our friends depart, we ought to hold to the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Without those doctrines, you cannot be a New Testament church. You cannot hold to, you will not be a New Testament church without the doctrines of Christ, and baptism is one such doctrine. As I had read earlier, Matthew 28, 19, the him giving the apostles what is called the Great Commission tells them plainly, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Immersion. The word literally means to immerse. And his commandment would be followed to the letter by the apostles in their various journeys starting at Pentecost. We turn in the Bible to the Acts the second chapter. We have Peter addressing the crowd at Pentecost, telling them plainly in the 36th verse of the second chapter, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. Now before this, the Holy Spirit had Fallen upon the disciples, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
They received cloven tongues of fire. They began to speak various languages. The dispersed Jews and the proselytes who had gathered together in Jerusalem from different nations around about came, came and heard their own languages being spoken. Accused the apostles of being drunkards. Peter standing up in the midst told them, we're not drinking, drunken with new wine, but this is that which was spoken before by the prophet Joel. He goes on to prove to them through his sermon that Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, is the same Christ whom God has raised up from the dead, that David, speaking of him long beforehand, is still dead and buried in his sepulchre, and that the apostles are witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all this points to the fact that the Jews, the Jewish men there, that they were guilty of shedding innocent blood, they were guilty of killing the Messiah. They were guilty of killing the Lord's anointed. In the 37th verse, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto the rest of the apostles, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, Peter's commandment is very clear and very plain. I believe it is the complete scope and limitation of what a, what a minister is to minister and preaching the gospel, and that is to repent and be baptized. We have no license to preach God is offering or God is wanting you to accept. Or you, it's up to you. God is holding his hand out, and it's just up to you to reach out and grab his hand. No, the book of Acts is quite plain that when the apostles were preaching, they preached the doctrine of repentance and baptism. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 is a very fine example of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ being preached to a crowd of people. And, they, and this crowd, this crowd using proselytes, when they had received this commandment, they were glad, it says they were, in the 41st verse, it says they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them 3,000 souls. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking bread and in prayer. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common. Sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, and parted them to all who men that as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat in gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, a few things I want to point out here. They received his word and were baptized. And the same day they were added. So the same day that they received Peter's commandment to repent and be baptized, to save yourself from this untold generation, they were baptized. You will find in the book of Acts that there is a sense of urgency with baptism. Receiving the commandment of repentance, having a, having a contrite heart as these, as these men did. They sought baptism as the fulfillment of the Lord's commandment. And being baptized, they became 
qualified for church membership, so to speak. I was thinking about that this morning, and that was the best word I could come up with was qualified. We have the example of Philip and the eunuch. The eunuch asked Philip about Isaiah 53. He said, the man who this prophet speak of, he's seeking himself for another man. Philip expounded to him Jesus Christ. He preached in the gospel through Isaiah 53. showed to him plainly that the prophet was speaking to Christ. They came upon water and Philip said, here's the eunuch, I'm sorry, the eunuch said, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, and this is Acts 8 and 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We have another condition of baptism here. If thou believe with all thy heart, thou mayest. Remember when the Pharisees came out to John the Baptist and asked him of baptism, he told them to bring out, to show forth fruits and eat under repentance. Baptism follows repentance, and repentance, and in, and in repentance we are brought to the belief in Jesus Christ, having saving faith in him, seeing him as our all, as our Savior, as our sole satisfaction, as our substitutionary sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary, as the, as the complete satisfaction of God's law, as our only source for righteousness, we have saving faith. That given to us by God Almighty. For Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, but in the name of both. It qualifies us for church membership. Notice that after baptism it says, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They were added after baptism. Now the eunuch, we have no record of him being added to any local church. And that is what the church is, is a local called out assembly of baptized believers. But here in Acts, the second chapter, we have evidence of 3,000 people, 3,000 souls being added to that local assembly. Moreover, it is not the apostles that added them. It is not those that minister baptism that add to the church. It is the Lord. The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. In the actual, the actual literal translation there is the Lord added to the church daily, such as will be saved. So it is all of the Lord. It is the Lord who calls. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 9, he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. He calls us with a holy calling. Brings us to a full fullness of the realization of our sins and our indebtedness to Him. And then gives us the eye of faith to see Jesus Christ as our all in all. Now, this is kind of introduction to baptism, if you will. I want to turn to the sixth chapter of Romans. We, we see kind of the physical aspects of baptism in the book of Acts. 
But I really want to get into the spiritual aspect of the Lord will. I ask that y'all pray for me while I'm up here. Because baptism is an immersion. And, I, and when you begin to consider the act of immersion and how it relates to the gospel of Christ and how it relates to the Lord's death, and then it opens up the door to so many depths of meaning for, for the act of baptism. And it's significant in the church. Paul, writing to the Roman church, says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Romans 63. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here we have the symbolic proclamation by the believer that they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Moreover, they believe in the power and faith, they have faith in the operation of God, and that they, believing in Jesus Christ, very their old dead man, that old dead man is buried under the water, and up out of the water comes the new man. Now baptism doesn't, I'm not advocating regeneration through baptism. This is a symbolic proclamation that the old man is dead, and the new man, like Christ, like as Christ was raised, the new man is now alive by the operation of God Almighty. Paul was very clear with the Ephesians when he says, for God in His love, and with His great love, even when He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has quickened us together to Christ Jesus. We are quickened and we are regenerated before we are ever baptized, before we are ever converted. You can look and examine Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the soul, the soul going to sow seed, only the good ground on which the seed fell but bore fruit. Now Christ points out in the book of Luke that this good ground is the heart. And the seed is the word of God. And only in the before prepared heart will the seed which is the word of God yield fruit. Now who is the plowman that goes plows and prepares the heart but the Spirit of God who quickens the heart and makes it alive a soft heart able to be tender to one's own sins toward God Almighty. Now in the same sense, we receiving the word, giving thanks unto God, Giving, having given us a Savior, we follow Him into the water. Because He was baptized as an example to us. Not that He would be saved. How can you save a Savior? He is the Savior. He is the source of salvation. He is the one who, who saves. He is the one who is mighty to save. But no, He sets forth that all that he, would, should fill, he should fulfill all righteousness. And as such, He has set forth a profound example for all of His sheep to follow Him in that following him into the water, we proclaim that the old man is dead, and coming up out of the water, we proclaim that the new man is alive through the God the Father. By God the Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Paul points out that baptism, we proclaim, we act coming up out of baptism, we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So, here's the act of faith, brethren, that we have faith in Jesus Christ, that we are no longer dead to Christ, but we are, by the Spirit of God, dead to sin because of Christ having bore all of our sins upon his cross. Now, Paul is very plain in the seventh chapter that he is not saying we do not sin. We still commit acts of sin. We are in this sinful flesh. And he talks about the problem of indwelling sin and the corruption of the flesh. And he cries out the end of chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he says, I thank God for Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And even John goes further and says, he, he that says, in 1st John, first chapter, he states, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 8, if we ha- say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. We confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul is not telling them in the Roman church that they have sinless perfection in this life, but as you will see from the context of, of his letter, that they are dead to sin, that they should not serve sin, and they should not be the servants of sin. There is a clear distinction. And one who habitually serves sin and whose sin is their master, and one who, because of the corruption of their flesh, does commit sin. There is a difference there. Being dead from sin, being freed from sin. How? By the body of Christ, by the blood of Christ, by his crucifixion. Now, if we be dead with sin, we ought to, I'm sorry, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we to also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from dead dies no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, ye also yourselves be dead. I'm getting more to something. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and as your members and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul points out that by Jesus Christ, they are dead to sin. They are free from sin. It no longer has dominion over them. And our lives are one, and I believe after, after our regeneration and conversion, that our lives are a process of continual sanctification under Jesus Christ. Sanctification under God by Jesus Christ. That as we go forward and progress in our lives and progress 
to seek to know Him and to have fellowship with Him and to have communion with Him, that we become more and more like Him. Now, in this life, we will not be completely like Him. We will not see Him as He is. We will always have the eyes face and see through a glass darkly because of our sinful flesh. But Paul points out that it is Jesus Christ who shall deliver us from the body of this death. Furthermore, the act of baptism proclaims openly, just as Christ commanded us, saying, if you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father, proclaims very loudly and publicly that we believe in the death, burial, of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are buried with him by baptism, and that we are raised with him, and that is, in our faith, we are raised with Him, and that we will be raised with Him in His resurrection. Now I want to turn to the book of Galatians. Because there is another aspect of this, outside of just a public proclamation of our belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that He is proclaimed as our Savior, and that we make a Just a little commitment on the hymn by his, by his grace. This comes to us from Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For well, as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, as many as you have been baptized into Christ, Now Paul told the Ephesians 
church that in Ephesians 1 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Predestinated, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself. So, in the eternal scheme of things, God chose his children in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. God predestinated the adoption of all of his children, the adopted children, by Jesus Christ unto himself. And yet, in this life, there is a point between the cradle and the grave in which we are, that is, the children of God are all baptized into Christ. And it comes to this, you're either in Christ or out of Christ. You're in the church or you're out of the church. For the church, as the apostle writes in several of his letters, is plainly put in the body of the Lord. The Lord being the head of the church. We do not, we do not recognize any one person. We do not recognize the Pope. We do not recognize the Lord. We recognize Jesus Christ as our head and Jesus Christ alone. Paul writes, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Being baptized into Christ, if we are chosen in Him, then what are we baptized? And why are we baptized? We are baptized into Him. We are baptized into communion with Him. Having been chosen in Him, we have union with Him. But being baptized into him, we are brought into communion with him. Communion in this life, communion in his church, communion in observing the ordinances of the church, namely his supper. You ever wonder why it's only baptized believers that the, that the church fathers wrote down in the 1644 and the 1589 London Confession of Faith that only baptized believers had access to the communal, to the communal supper to sit at the table and to have communion with the Lord in a spiritual manner, and to take part of the same bread and the same wine that he took part of, not literally the same, but in a spiritual sense. It is because they have been baptized into Christ. They have brought forth fruits, fruits meet unto repentance. They have expressed a belief in Jesus Christ, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. They have seen they have seen him as their Savior. They are the only ones who are qualified to take part in the communal supper, to discern the bread as symbolic as the symbolic broken body of Jesus Christ, and discern the wine as the symbolic spilled blood of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, having cleansed them from all their sins, and discern that their eternal need for Jesus Christ. This is the, this is the spiritual side of baptism, being brought into into a communion with Jesus Christ, a spiritual communion of Jesus Christ, putting on His righteousness being given a wedding garment, being given a garment of righteousness which none other can bestow but Jesus Christ himself. It is only by him that we have access under the throne of grace in the time of need. It is because he has torn the veil that stood between us and God Almighty. It is because he has entered once into the holy into the holy place to present himself a sacrifice, a perfect payment for our sins. I hope you see the importance of baptism. It is a proclamation of our death to Jesus Christ. It is a proclamation of our being dead to sin, of our being dead to this world. It is a proclamation that our lives are hid with Jesus Christ. It is a proclamation 
that God has circumcised us with a circumcision not made with hands, and that in putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, we are buried with him in baptism, wherein also, as Paul writes to the Colossian brother in Colossians 2.12, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who raised him up from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath to quicken together, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. This doctrine is very important for the Lord's church. He commanded it to be administered by his apostles. Commanded it to be observed. As we obey him and his commandments, we have a closer communion with him. Paul wrote later on in this chapter, not this chapter, but he wrote some Philippians later in the second chapter, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both the will and the desire of his good pleasure. Christ told his disciples in the 15th chapter of John, Abide in me, this is 15 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Earlier in the 14th chapter, in the 15th verse, he told them, If you love me, keep my commandments. This is the commandment given to us by Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get into baptismal regeneration today. I'm just kind of looking at it from the high, uh, top level view, pointing out its significance in the church that one is commanded by the Lord. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Who it brings us into communion, closer communion with the Lord Christ, following His example, following Him down into the water. He led us down in that water. He provided, He, he provided the best example to any of His sheep on how to live this life. And one, and one of those examples was the baptism He received. And John said, "I have need to baptize you." And Christ looked at Him and said, "Suffer it to be so." I tried to quote it and left my mind. For us to fulfill all righteousness. Suffer it to be so now, for those to become with us to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3 15. And then John suffered. Straightway when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Right? He received his anointing at that time. He had a commandment to be fulfilled. He transmitted this commandment to his church. Peter and the apostles preached this commandment in the preaching of the gospel. After the preaching of the gospel, when people would cry out and seek help and seek to know what they should do, the 
forth were sent to be baptized. After baptism, they were added to the church. Baptism is our public confession of our belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God made manifest in the flesh, that He was born of a virgin, crucified, buried three days and three nights, and by the power of God Almighty was raised from the dead, shown unto His disciples, and afterwards, after a certain period of time, He was exalted on high, where He now dwells and makes intercession for us each and every day. Maybe this is a very important doctrine for us. Don't let anyone take the significance of, of it away. Don't let them, for one instant, think or try to convince any of us that it's not necessary. Because it was very necessary to the apostles. They preached it. They wrote about it. Peter says the like figure, even baptism doth also, doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience is not. It is a bringing in of the people of God into a closer communion to Jesus Christ. Thank you.